way is that John, uh, Jesus loved selflessly. So this is during the Last Supper. This is more trial and executed. And that is the context of this whole passage. The cross, that is the ultimate context of Jesus' command for us to love one another. This is not some wishy-washy thing. And it's not some optional extra that we can tack on that we are being present a few days earlier when Jesus had entered Jerusalem. They thought this was it. They're going to be part of a revolution. And they wanted to come out of that revolution in some position of greatness. But Jesus, of course, knew differently. He knew what was going to happen. And therefore, he was acting differently. Because of that selfless love that he had, he was acting differently. And I, I, I don't think I can put it better than this quote from William Barclay himself. He says, Jesus knew that all things had been given into his hands. He knew that his hour of humiliation was near, but he knew that his hour of glory was also near. Such a consciousness might well have filled him with pride, and yet with a knowledge of the power and the glory that were his, he washed his disciples' feet. At the moment, he might have had supreme pride, pride, his supreme humility. Love is always like that. When, for example, people fall ill, those who love them will perform the most menial services and delight to do that, because love is like that. Sometimes people feel that they are too distinguished to do the humble things, too important to do some menial task. Jesus was not like that. He knew that he was Lord of all, and yet he washed his disciples' feet. In a few moments, we're going to be singing The Servant King, that great song by Graham Kendrick, which has that wonderful line in it, hands that flung stars into space to cruel nails surrendered. The next thing is that Jesus loved unconditionally. Within this group of friends, there was a traitor. Within this group, there is Judas, the disciple that is going to betray Jesus. And Jesus is well aware that he was about to be betrayed. He was well aware of what Jesus was about to do. But Jesus still washed his feet. I think that's amazing. I think it's absolutely extraordinary. He carried out that act of loving service on the disciple who he knew was about to betray him. And it's not only that, it's not only the washing of the feet, there's the act of dipping the bread in the dish and giving it to Judas. That wasn't just a signal. It wasn't just something that Jesus had made up at the time. It itself was an act of honour. To give someone a little tidbit from a meal was a special act of friendship. Um, if you go back and have a look at Ruth, uh, the story of Ruth, Boaz shows how much he honours Ruth by doing exactly that. It was something that was uh, present and common in that sort of um, Middle Eastern society. And it doesn't end there. Jesus is sitting right next to Jesus. We can see that because um, he's got John on one side of him. Um, that's the, G uh, the disciple that Jesus loved that's, that's mentioned in, in the passage. And Jesus is on the other side he has to be close to him because he has to be able to, Jesus has to be able to give him um, the, the little uh, bit of bread. Meanwhile, Peter, 
Peter is on the other side of the room. Peter has to use John as the sort of go-between to ask Jesus what, it, you know, what he means. So Jesus, Judas has been sat next to Jesus. That's the position of honour. And uh, yeah, that's, so there's three things there. He washes Judas' feet. He gives him this particular little tidbit and he's sitting him right next to him. And of course, that doesn't end with Judas. Later on, we have uh, the party that comes to arrest Jesus. And in that party, there is a, a servant, servant of the high priest, and Peter cuts off his ear. But what does Jesus do? He heals him. He loves him by healing him, despite the fact that this man has been come as part of a party to arrest him. Jesus still loves him. And then later on, when he's hanging from the cross, he asks his father to forgive those who are abusing him. Jesus never loved, never stopped loving people. When someone was about to betray him, he washed his feet. When someone came to arrest him, he healed him. When people abused him, he asked the father to forgive them. Jesus' love is not conditional on who someone is or how they behave or how they treated him. Jesus' love is for everyone, and therefore we are required to love everyone. So we've looked at Jesus loving selflessly, Jesus loving humbly, Jesus loving unconditionally. The last thing I want to look at is that Jesus loved... Sorry, Stuart, PowerPoint's not working. Just knock it on one next, next slide. There we are. Jesus loved missionally. It's by loving each other and loving others that we show Jesus to the world. That's what Jesus meant when he said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. There's a quote I came across recently from the Belgian theologian Louis Evely. The best proof that Christ has risen is that he is still alive. And for the immense majority of our contemporaries, the only way of seeing him alive is for us Christians to love one another. I'll just say that again. The best proof that Christ has risen is that he's still alive. And for the immense majority of our contemporaries, the only way of seeing him alive is for us Christians to love one another. The first step is reclaiming the gospel to the world is to live it. If we allow our standards and our principles to shine out through our lives, then people will notice because we're different. And those standards will be different from the world's. The more the, more the world's standards decline, the more the difference is obvious. And it's not difficult to be di- different from the world's values. The world's values have dropped. Just look at the forces of darkness in our world. And living differently from the world is that starts with loving each other. Just as Jesus loved us, so we willing us too. So as we start to build that, how do we build a church family, a church community where everybody feels loved, valued and respected? Because I think that's the starting point. You know, we could talk about what programs we're going to start and 
what services we could do and how we could reach out to the community, but it starts with us loving one another. And I could talk about how to love one another when it's difficult or when there's disagreements or when the struggle of how do we love those people that we don't particularly get on with. But I think we need to go right back to basics because the foundation for loving people is spending time together. Uh, some of you know about my, uh, my new girlfriend, and I spend a huge amount of time going up and down the A38 to see her up in Exmouth because you need to spend time together. And of course, in church, we have a churchy word for that. We call it fellowship. So I've got a little challenge for you about how we could, how you could help us build the future that God is calling us to do. And I'm not going to apologise for this little challenge because when I came to NBC, one of the things that attracted me was expectation, being challenged, being pushed. So this is the challenge. See, when I'm on tech duty at the back, I notice things. It's a really great vantage point. You can see what's going on. And one of the things I've noticed is how many people are here. I always do a little head count, and I notice who's here and who's not. And what I've noticed, I don't think we're attending church as regularly as we did before COVID. How can we build our relationship as a church family if we're not investing time to spend time together? So this is my challenge for you. Come to church. And I'm sure some of you are thinking that we don't need to be in church to spend time with God. Maybe that's something you've learned in the pandemic. And maybe there's some truth in that. But what about spending time with each other? Spending time with us as a church family? We are called to be in relation with each other as well as with God. When Jesus is running out of time, he knows that he's about to be arrested. And he, he's thinking about what is that one key message that he needs to tell his disciples. He doesn't just teach love God. He teaches love one another. This stuff matters. It's part of God's plan for how he wants us to live and how he wants to draw people to his service as well and getting to be part of, uh, of a, a mini group within the church. Because if we do that, if we spend time together, then we will develop in love one another and that will draw people into the church and it will draw people towards Jesus. If we are to grow as a church and if we are to be faithful to our commission to spread the gospel, then we need to start by loving one another. We finished our reading earlier in chapter 13 because, of course, that is not the end of uh, John's telling of uh, the Last Supper. So I want to finish with these words of Jesus from chapter 15, a couple of chapters further on. And I think these words are just as important today for Muttley Baptist Church as they were 2,000 years ago. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Amen.